Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. I am not bothered by the number of guys leaving because in each case, I know why they're leaving. Uh, and they're all different reasons, but they're all, as I said the other day, under the same umbrella of looking out for themselves more than looking out for the team interest. Jimmy Soto's a nice get. I like taking a mature kid. But uh, some people are bothered. What's going on with this program? All these cop guys are leaving. That's going to be like that every year. You know, that's just the way it is. That's It'll probably get worse moving forward, to Agreed. be honest with you. Agree. You, you might have five, four different starters every single year. So Because yeah, of the name of the have to get used thing, because we're in to a uh, new way of thinking about college basketball. We're going to have to get used to a new way of thinking about a lot of things. Uh, in sports, given the uh, comments of the Surgeon General, the comments of OSU President Michael Drake. Good morning, everybody. It's a good Friday edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Still social distancing. Good morning, Mr. Spielman. Good morning. How are you? I'm hanging in there, my friend. I'm doing well. I'm looking out over my uh, wet but uh, greening up and beautiful backyard and uh, looking forward to a good podcast with you today as we... Uh, celebrates a hard word for me on good friday i mean i i celebrate the the outcome it's just as i contemplate the events of the day it's a sobering day in many ways good sobering but still sobering humbling yeah sobering humbling all that and i think it's something to reflect on and something to understand and the good news is that we're not the children of god a good friday but the children of god of a risen god on easter sunday and uh talked about about this a little bit but it bears repeating that um you know without easter sunday without the resurrection this whole thing would be a waste of time yep. of, of praying and reading the bible and talking about it be a total waste of time and you know the christianity faith is the only faith that proclaims and uh uh uh, uh risen god and not somebody who who died, you think about of all the other martyrs in this world, I think would talk about Jesus and what he said, I am God, I am the way, the truth, the life. And so nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so that's something to be celebrated. Uh, and it's humbling that God had to walk the way he walked or Jesus had to walk the way he walked and had to go through what he goes through at 3 o'clock today. So, yeah, uh, you know. More yeah, on that in the faith portion yeah. of the podcast, uh, which comes at the end of the podcast. We're happy you joined us this morning. We're trying to find the sports news that's relevant to you, and I can't imagine there'd be anything more relevant than OSU President Michael Drake talking on WOSU yesterday with Ann Fisher about the college football season. And Michael Drake says, in his opinion, the college football season will be impacted in some way, but he left a wide berth as to how it could be impacted all the way from cancellation to starting the games on time without fans. He did say that... Uh, the fan experience is a part of college football, but that the experience can take place without fans. Uh, what do you think of the president of OSU saying that? I don't. I think he doesn't know yet, which is not a knock on Michael Drake. It's just that nobody knows yet, and I do think there'll be something to be able to uh, have have college football. You know, I I just have a strong feeling, and and I get the importance of staying in and observing social distancing. And doing all the things that we're supposed to do and i understand that it's just that the more the longer this goes on i just get a feeling that people are going to say you know we live in the united states of america 
it's a we live in a constitutional republic, and so I think there's so uh, liberties that people are going to start wanting to have back, and I, I don't know what that looks like, Bruce, but I'm just trying to look at a big picture. Also, I don't know how you feel. I don't know if you get get the <laughs> feeling that pe- people are getting anxious and okay. I think you know, it's split. Get, there's risk, and there is there's risk, and I'm willing to take that risk, and I'm going to be smart and responsible, but I'm still going to start living my life again. And, and it's split right now, but I think it wasn't split in the beginning, but I think the longer this goes, as far as staying in, uh, the more people are going to get anxious to start saying, what about my Liberty? Well, yeah. And I think too, it's, um, eventually the borrowed money is going to run out and the checks are going to run out and people want to resume their lives. It's one thing to be sequestered in the wintertime and much of the United States, another to be sequestered in the summertime. Uh, I've engaged on this topic a few times on Twitter and I've not tried to be provocative, but I have been provocative because what I find is that there are a lot of people out there who don't want information. I just want it. I just want information and I want, and I want my, uh, governor, my medical director and all that to not be, um, overstating things or making assumptions about things, I would like for them to be questioned on some things so I can have a better understanding. Just because I ask questions doesn't mean I don't believe what they're telling me. And I'll give you a case in point. Yesterday, Amy Acton, the health director, medical director of the state of Ohio, made a point that they've been successful because the science shows that if you, you know, sequester everybody at home, the virus won't spread. Well, okay, yeah, that's science. But what I said on Twitter was, that's common sense, too. Like, if you sequester everybody at home, <laughs> bacteria is not going to spread. It just That's common sense. So don't act like you have some great scientific insight into this. And, and I acknowledged in the tweet, there is no way to know what you don't do. You can say, we did the right thing shutting everybody in at home. And if... The numbers come in at 60,000 who die instead of 2 million. You can stand on that fact as, see, we cut the deaths from the initial model projection of 2 million to 60,000. If we hadn't, 2 million would have died. You can say that. You don't know that. Right. You don't know well, that. You can't prove that. And so all I'm saying is you, you did a common sense measure, but we don't know. And the other thing people forget is you act like you can't stay at home and be careful unless you're ordered to stay at home and be careful. In a, in a free society, if you have emphysema, if you have some kind of a respiratory illness and you believe yourself to be at risk, you can stay home without being ordered to stay home. Well, even if you have cancer, Bruce, um, anything, anytime you're at risk or your immune system is down, uh, I remember at, at times, uh, I know that chemo patients uh, that are under, undergoing chemotherapy uh, have to be careful of who they're Very exposed much. to. Yep. So, I mean, you have experience with this, I believe, with your father and when, when he was ill yep. at some point. And so uh, there's going to be a new way of life, and that's fine. I mean, I, and I think people were resilient people. I think we're people that uh, is uh, innovative, and we learn how to adjust, and we adjust quickly. And we're just going to have to adjust again as a society and as all the doctors and scientists and, and even our politicians are, are saying, you know, there's going to be a new normal, which is fine. I it mean, is. we'll figure it out. We always do. We always figure it out. And 
I know that change scares some people. Um, maybe in my 54 years, uh, I've tried to learn how to that, and maybe because of my experiences as a child or whatever of, of moving around and going to, you know, my dad being coaches at different places, you learn to embrace change. If you don't embrace change, it ends up uh, swallowing you up. And so I think there's going to be a new way of doing things and people figure it out. That's the one thing I, I'm so impressed with our country is that we <laughs> find new ways to do things. And pretty soon we don't even notice that, you know, it'll be like, remember when back in the fifties when we did this, remember back in the seventies yeah. when we did this, remember back in the nineties. So 10 years from now, you know, my kids are going to hopefully if some of them have kids by then or to whatever the case may be, they may say, Hey, you know, when grandpa had to stay in the house for a week or two weeks, or my older ones will say, he let us come over, but he, he kept us in the backyard or out in the driveway for two weeks. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, so, remember when we used to be able to walk our family members to the gate at airports and meet them at the yeah. gate at airports, I, yeah. I, I, we can't do that anymore. And it doesn't seem that odd, you know? Yeah. So I, I just, I think there's going to be some type of football season because um, I, you know, I, I am very responsible. I want everybody to be very responsible. Uh, but I also don't want to be a slave to a coronavirus. Correct. And I, I don't want to be harsh or fear. That I'm, uh, or, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't want to live as a slave or live in fear of the coronavirus. And I think that, you know, they're going to make some progress with antibodies. They're going to make some progress with treatment for it. That the, the big thing that I keep reading about and watching as I continue to try to educate myself on what we're fighting here is that testing is going to be essential. And the more testing we get, uh, obviously, we're going to figure out some people may be immune with it. Maybe uh, more people have had it than we know that just didn't have the symptoms or had minimal symptoms. So, I mean, I think there's so much information to be learned um, from this. And I have 100% faith and confidence as a people that we will adjust to whatever that change is. But I got news for you. This is just, this is, this is not like, an, it's just my opinion. It's not based on anything. I don't think this country is going to stay home. And if it comes around in May 1st, just from what, what, what I'm kind of hearing from people and just watching and observing after, after May 1st, people are going to say, you know, we're, we're starting we're moving on baby and we're going to live it responsibly, but you know, you're going to have to arrest me from being outside. I mean, you know, I mean, I saw a place in Colorado where a guy, his wife and a kid were playing T-ball in a park, nobody around them. And they had four officers come and arrest them. Now, that's scary stuff right that is. there. That that's is. scary. Somebody you in uh, Indiana arrested for taking a drive. I mean, it's getting to the point where, uh, you know, the problem with, with uh, imposing these kinds of restrictions is that you always get people who take the power too far. And the right. other scary part of this to me is that you get people who tweet me and say, well, your point about this being common sense is dumb. You know, you got to believe what they tell you. Well, I don't have to believe everything I'm told. I'm allowed to ask questions. I, 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 when you stop asking questions, you start giving away freedom. And I look, too many brave men and women fought for our freedom for us to just give yeah. it away. 
So I think it's okay to ask questions. Yeah. Let's be clear, though. We're not sitting here advocating being dumb. No, not at all. We're sitting here advocating, of course, I have respect for Governor DeWine. Of course, I have respect. And I do listen to what Dr. Acton and and John Husted and Mike DeWine. I watch their press conference every day to, to gather information. But I don't limit myself to... They're like the E-4s, the, which, by the way, means the, the, like the guys in, in the movie 300 where he goes up and climbs a mountain to visit the wise E-4s. There's other people that are very wise out there that also have information that may differ uh, from, from the Dr. Acton's information. And so I think it's our duty and our responsibility to educate ourselves as much as possible. I think we have to respect what Governor DeWine and, and Dr. Acton and John are saying. I get all that, and I'm doing all that, and I'll continue to do all that. But also, you have to have a, a move forward. I don't know if you've watched any of the press conferences, but I think on um, Wednesday was the first time they were talking about a plan how to slowly reopen Ohio. Yeah. And it, it's vital, and you have to do that. We, we cannot sit here and live in fear and in hiding of, of something event. I mean, we we're all willing to sacrifice, but not every people aren't going to sacrifice in my opinion going into like the summer. They're, nobody's going to be sequestered through the summer. Ain't going to no. happen. And it's too bad because I mean, the uh, nominations that we get for people uh, who want to be eligible for our drawing for the $250 that we'll give away to four people here momentarily I get so many stories of small businesses, people who have put Uh, their lives into starting a small business and have been operating a successful small business. That's no, that's no easy feat. Most, a lot of small businesses fail. You're operating a successful small business, but it's not so successful that you have six months of cash stored up that you can just shut down, pay everybody and you know, oh, we'll just pick right back up again. People have worked their entire lives to, to implement the American dream. And this is putting those people out of business. Logan's Roadhouse is like 300 restaurants. They're out of business. So we got to get back to it here pretty soon. And uh, it breaks my heart to read these stories. And we get many, many stories of people who get three, four kids at home. Uh, Believe me, I've been on unemployment. (laughs) You can't raise a family very long on unemployment. You just can't do it. So um, with that, let's uh, transition into giving away our first $250 check. Uh, hey, by the way, how much did your uh, Lions uniform go for last night? Your throwback uniform and your Pro Bowl watch? It was way up there when I looked at it yesterday afternoon. Uh, $6,900. Wow. Awesome. And so the total, Bruce, uh, at least on eBay, I got to take out some fees and uh, stuff, but just a rough total is $24,000 so That's far. That's awesome. That is great. Um, Four things you've sold, right? Four things. Something new is coming this afternoon. Um, I haven't quite decided. I, I could go really big and try to get get us over the top now, or I can sell some other items to kind of inch or piece me our way there. But right now we're at twenty four thousand dollars. That's sixty, roughly twenty four thousand. I got to help pay for shipping and handling, and right. I I'm paying the people. The, that are, are helping me because, you know, some people close to me are out of work and they need money, you know? Yes. So I'm trying to do this the right way. And uh, we're at $24,000, $16,000 to go. 
So, okay, so who was the purchaser? Do you know the purchaser of your Lions uh, uniform? A gentleman from uh, Detroit. Okay, great. That uh, purchased it, and so I, I'm not making it public because I yeah. the only person, the only uh, their name's public unless they give me permission. That's what I wanted. Um, just location. I was just curious where yeah, you're from. Detroit, and and I figured you know it's probably going to be more of a regional sale, but you know, um, the other thing was. Um, uh, when I'm looking at the stuff to sell, what do you think I should do? Should I go big and, and knock this out? I mean, we got 24 weeks covered now. Well, we yeah. had we I had the first two weeks. Two covered, weeks. So, so you got 26 weeks covered. You got 14 weeks left. I'm intrigued that you say you're thinking of going big because I mean I don't know what your memorabilia collection is, but uh, well here's what can I'll you have you bigger than a Big Ten and Rose Bowl ring? Uh, you don't yeah. have to say. No, I'll tell you. Are you selling your Lombardi trophy? That's probably the one thing that's not for sale. Yeah, I wouldn't sell that, brother. I might sell, like, my firstborn before that. (laughs) No, no, don't sell her. She's (laughs) awesome. So here's what I'm thinking. Um, I have a game-worn helmet, the red high-top shoes worn in the cotton bowl, in my... my, uh, a game uniform from my years playing at house state in a beautiful frame. And wow. you know, I think that could do really well. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, and it actually, even the helmet and the shoes are on a plaque and it says from grandma and grandpa. So that would makes it even more authentic. I think it does. Your grandma and grandpa did that for you. Yeah. Holy cow. Chris. And people would say, well, why would you do that? Wouldn't your grandma and grandpa be upset? And, you know, from my relationship and what I know of my grandmother, my grandfather, uh, they wouldn't be upset. They would be happy that they were able to get me something to be able to do this because I know like you and like me, I mean, when I saw that jobs report come out yesterday, I was watching it. It came out at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. and I was on a, on a bike getting miles in. I mean my heart sank and maybe because I've dealt with serious illness and I know how difficult that is. And, and uh, I've had that experience of watching people be very, very ill. And so I know that I already know that struggle. But when I saw that um, 6.6 million people lost their jobs, a total of 15 million total for whatever reason yesterday, that just crushed me. Yeah. I mean, I was so sad. I mean, I had, I had to give myself a pep talk to get out of it, you know? And so that's why I'm thinking about going big here because, you know, we can get these 40 weeks covered, 40 for 40, you know, 40,000 for 40 weeks. If we can get this covered and I, it, it's just, uh, but I almost feel like we're not doing enough, you know. But I can't, you know. I I think we are. You're Don't doing you're doing a lot, my friend. No, we, yeah, we, we. Let's we. read uh, an email here from Sandy, who is one of our uh, newest nominees. She's nominating someone. So let me just read the kind of stories that I read. <laughs> Ten of these every day. Uh, hi, Chris. You two are the best. I would like to nominate a family that's been hit hard because of the quarantine. Ian and Michelle and their four little children. Ian is part owner of a restaurant in Dublin that had to close down. 
He ended up in the hospital for four days with an infection in his elbow that would not respond to antibiotics. Their nine-year-old daughter had an accident that broke her arm while he was in the hospital. Not knowing coronavirus was going to hit, they had just added to their house. They are the kind of family that's always doing something for others. They've hosted for two years now a coffee house to support children's cancer research at Children's Hospital. They get the neighborhood children involved by baking cookies and canvassing for businesses to support by donating donuts, cookies, and other things that, is, that are needed. Michelle, she writes about, has created an organization in UA that uh, has uh, fostered equality of all people. The movement has now reached uh, into the support by the city of UA working with the Equal UA movement. I could go on, but you get the idea. They deserve a little help from their friends. Thank you for all you do, Sandy. So those are the kind of emails we get. And, uh, you know, I can pull up any one of them. So let's draw our first winner. And this week's first winner of $250 is uh, Brock Grotsky, who nominates uh, Melissa. And Melissa is a hairstylist who is out of work. Our second winner is uh, Phil... Rothgeb and Phil, I have here, I can't read my writing on who he nominated, but Phil uh, uh, nominates someone, so that was not for him. Uh, it was for someone else. Here is our third winner. It is Kaylee Stearns for her mom. Oh, I remember this one. Wow. Oh. Kaylee Stearns for her mom, Carrie uh, Kaylee is one of, of Carrie's seven children's seven children. She is a single mom. That was a particularly, uh, touching one when I read it. And, uh, James Black for Miranda Wood, who is out of work. So there are our four winners for this week. And, and people uh, can, people, Bruce will summarize this on Twitter at we tackle. Yep. And he'll tell, uh, tell all of you listeners out there. Give you just a little one or two line story of or who won, mm-hmm. and that way you know people know that. And I don't think people question our integrity of whether this money truly is going to help these folks. Although it's our money, so you know we'll do what we want with it. But of course, we proclaimed and put our word, which is all we have, on on where this money is going. So I I I'd like to get the people out there to show people that. The, this is truly impacting. Here's uh, um, here's the email. Need it deeply. Go ahead. Here's the email from Phil. I couldn't read my writing because I had scribbled too much on the card. I'd like to nominate a friend of mine whose name is Justin. Justin is a stepfather to a ten-year-old developmentally disabled boy and is the father to a seventeen-month-old daughter, uh, who his wife and he had to do several rounds of in vitro fertilization in order to have. He's the only worker in the household because the coronavirus has been put out of work. He's a good man who worked two jobs for several years to support his family. Thank you for all that you're doing. Keep up God's work. So there, uh, that's going to Justin. So fantastic. Uh, get your nominations in. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to take this beyond 40 weeks because we'll have a contribution from Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, the official coffee of the Spielman and Hooley Podcast. Order online, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Dot com. Get your Nicaraguan blend, which Spiel starts the morning with, your breakfast blend, your Thailand uh, coffee. You can order it with the beans to roast it yourself. You can order it uh, already roasted. You can order it in K-cups. We have many different flavors. Uh, 
and they will donate 20% of sales when you're a Spielman and Hooley listener. Or you can have them donate an additional 5% when you take your 15% discount by using the promo code WETACKLE. Don't forget the chocolate. The chocolate is phenomenal. Uh, I usually don't like dark chocolate. Uh, their dark chocolate is amazing, and it's keto-friendly. So there you go. Ask them about it. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. I uh, heard the Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, on Clay Travis's Fox Morning Show yesterday, Spiels. Uh, he said, football is the hardest sport to bring back. Because it is, and I quote, a dream scenario for a disease that spreads person to person. And he said the other problem they have is that obviously we have football teams all across the country. Some cities, New York, New Orleans, uh, perhaps Ohio now is exp- are experiencing the peak of the disease. But everyone, he said, is on a different curve. L.A. and Indianapolis curve will come later. So those are some of the complications of bringing back football, but I share your opinion that we will have football in the fall. It'll be weird if we have it uh, without fans. Uh, it'll be very weird. I don't know if Ohio State fans... If, if Ohio State and Bowling Green play the season opener September the 5th, would you expect this... If, if, they don't, if they don't say... Let me say it again. If they say, you can come if you want to, but we recommend you don't come. Okay? You can come if you want to. We recommend you don't come. Uh-huh. How many people are in that stadium? How many people are tailgating? Let me just say there's a poll out there from ESPN that says 72% of the people say they will not go to sporting events unless there's a vaccine. There will not be a vaccine by the fall unless there's some miracle. They are all saying the vaccine earliest is 2021. So with all that in your head, 72% say they won't. There are other polls that 80% say they will go. So it all depends, I think, on the political bent of whose show you're listening to. Uh how many people do you think would be there? Full stadium? Would we know any different? Would it be different? What do you think? I think it would be uh, each player would allow maybe four to six guests. And I think there would be probably 30,000 tailgating around campus and watching it on wireless television somewhere. Even if there That's were no it. restrictions on coming, if, if the governor said, well, you can come if you want to, we say you shouldn't, but you can come if you want to uh, wear a mask or whatever. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 maybe, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking of a solution. What do you think? I, I'm I think it'd thinking, be full. I think, I think I it'd be think full. It'd be full. You, I don't think it'd be full. You do or don't? No, not for house state Bowling Green. No. Wow. Well, there's a lot of fear out there. See, I just don't have the That's, fear. So, yeah. I, but, that and people need to understand. So when you make a statement like that, I just don't have the fear, but you have the respect. I have the respect. For, yeah, I, 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 I understand right. it's big, but I just I don't have the fear of the. I don't have the fear of dying. Right. I mean, I look at the. Here's why I don't have the fear of dying. It's not because I want to die. No. And and it's and it's. I mean, of course, it's wrapped up in the fact that I I believe strongly my future is eternally secure. I look at the numbers. It's like. The number of people who get it is like 3%. Okay? Right. So I got to be in the 3% to get it. The number of people who have to go in ICU who get it is like 1% of the 3%. Right. And the number of people who die from it is is much smaller yet. So we act like the numbers are not in our favor. The numbers are most assuredly in your favor. Why do you think we don't hear that on the daily press conference from uh, Governor DeWine and Dr. Ackman and Lieutenant Governor John Husted. Because I think we've gotten to a point where we are so sensitive to 
uh, I can't even think of the word. We're sensitive. And this, I've heard Governor Cuomo in New York say, well, you know, if it saves one life, it's worth it. Uh, what are you going to do about all the other diseases and all the other deaths? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at numbers here. And again, I know the numbers are probably brought down. No doubt they're brought down. I said it earlier in the podcast. There's, it's inarguable they were brought down. If you sequester everybody at home, the numbers are going to come down because bacteria needs right. contact to spread. So the numbers have been brought down to flu level. Two years ago, 80,000 people died of the flu. What did we get? Like, How many times did that lead to nightly news? Maybe once in three months? I don't know. I mean, so it, this happens. People die. The other thing we're doing in America that they're not doing in other places is, and Dr. Burks, Deborah Burks, said this the other day, anybody who dies who has the coronavirus is considered a coronavirus death. Uh. You, got, you got cancer. You got heart disease. You got bronchitis. You got emphysema. The coronavirus may have um, sped, your, sped up your death, by a week, two, a month, a year. Yeah. But you were going to die from whatever you had anyway. So, and I'm not saying that every day on earth is not precious. I don't mean to be callous about it. You're not. But the fact is, people die. They die of disease. And to say, well, you know, she had, she had breast cancer and she had coronavirus, so her death is due to coronavirus. Well, I mean, yes and no. Could be a combination. It could be a combination. Yes. So that's the other thing is art, and and that's again why I'm not fearful. If the numbers are in my favor, and we're counting every single death where anyone has coronavirus as a coronavirus caused death, then I think our numbers are inflated. I think the reason is, and first of all, I have so much respect. I'm really mean this with all my heart. I mean, because you can see it, the wear and tear on. Governor Hughes, Lieutenant Governor Houston and mm-hmm. DeWine and, and Dr. Acton, right? I mean, they're going at it hard. And we're very lucky to have people with that genuine care. And as most governors and medical directors, the lieutenant governors are. So, and, and our president and his team, all everybody is doing their very best. I really believe that. I hope, I think you believe that too. I do. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was always, I thought, maybe I'm wrong. Again, this is just my opinion that I thought the biggest reason for the stay at home and I think Dr. Acton talked about this many times is the one thing that we cannot do is overwhelm our healthcare system, which would would have been very possible if we did not put this stay at home order in place. We don't know, but it could have been possible, right? And and that would have been just devastating uh, if that were to happen. So I think uh, I, I echo the, the sentiments of, of uh, Governor DeWine and his team that our state has done a terrific job. I mean, it really has. And I know that people will say, well, there's people out. Well, of course there's going to be. We've got 11 million people. 11, you're not going to get 11 million people to follow the rules that you set. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to happen. But for the most part, I think from what I've been and when I've been out, which is not a lot, but when I've been out and about in my car, uh, I, I look for people that aren't observing the rules, not to tattle on them, just kind of keeping a, a tally in my head. And rarely, I don't think I've seen one not responding to the rules. Now, there might be people walking in the park that pass each other that aren't six feet away, yeah. but I don't count that BS, you know? No, I don't so, either. 
you know, so it's just, I think people, it's very frustrating. And the fact that they're, because it's a novel virus, that's why there's so much different science. We don't know enough. So I think that's the frustrating thing because we're being told of 2 million deaths in, a, in our country, right? And yep. now it's 60,000. And I think that's what's frustrating people. They want direct answers. And I just don't think our people have that information or have enough data to give you a direct answer. No, and Dr. Dr. Atkin made know. that point early on, and I, I appreciated what she said early on. She said, you know, you're bound to get criticized because if you don't do enough, people die, and you get criticized for not doing enough. And if you do a lot and the numbers come down, then people question, why did you do so much? And so they are in a no-win situation. No, I do believe that. Impossible. It's an impossible yeah. situation they're in. And I believe that their hearts are in the right place, and I believe they're making, um, you know, purposeful um, – well thought out decisions. Uh, I just, I mean, all I can do is explain my perspective on it. And that's my perspective. And I would like in, I would like information, even though I just don't want to cede complete and total be a lemming, you know, running into the sea. Like, well, they tell me this. So I believe it. Like I, I would just like whatever information they have that could help me evaluate what they're saying. I would like it for, I don't see any harm in asking to compare respiratory related deaths in 2019 March to respiratory-related deaths in 2020 March. And that offended some people on Twitter when I said, I'd like to know the numbers. If the numbers are quite a bit higher, then that makes me feel better about the decisions the state is making. If the numbers are the same or lower, I'll be like, hmm, that's interesting. Could be because we social distanced, and that might explain it, but I just like the information. And what I don't understand, I can't even identify with the mindset of people who just don't want information. I always want more information. All right, so here's yeah. some information on the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, it was canceled. They yes. uh, typically distribute $600 million to schools uh-huh. off the NCAA tournament. No tournament, no uh, $600 million to distribute, so they will be distributing less than half of that, $225 million. That has resulted in, to my knowledge, the first Big Ten school saying we will not pay for spring sport athletes to come back and compete in 2021 if they want to. That is the University of Wisconsin, which I always would have thought would be a really healthy uh, athletic department from a financial standpoint. Barry Alvarez says they would have had 25 to 35 kids come back. It would have cost – no, I'm sorry, that's the Iowa numbers. Barry Alvarez said he feels the NCAA's action was an overreaction that creates a lot of problems – and that Wisconsin is facing a $4 million athletic shortfall. At Iowa, Gary Barta, the athletic director, says they have 25 or 35 kids who want to come back and play in the spring of 2021, and that Iowa's cost for that is a half a million dollars. I mean, I know a half a million dollars is a lot of money to me. It doesn't seem like it's a lot of money to a Big Ten athletic department, but Iowa has not committed yet to paying for athletes to come back in the spring. Ohio State has. Yeah, well, Ohio State has the luxury of uh, being, what, the top or second to Texas, maybe, in in revenue-generating athletic department and uh, athletic department that's in the black. Not all athletic departments operate in the black, right, Bruce? Very very few of them do. Very Very, few of them. That's my point. Very few do. So just because the NCAA said it can do so, 
and I, I knew this was coming. That's great, but we can't afford to do that because then you don't want to kick. What are you going to do? Take away your commitment from the younger generation or the younger recruits coming mm -hmm. up or the younger athletes? You have to choose one, and, and it's an awful position to be in. And again, there's no win situation here, but if you have to choose one, if I were an athletic director, I would say, look, this is awful, but at least those kids that had one year left remaining on their eligibility, at least they had the opportunity to compete here. And we have to move forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the way it is. I, I wish, you know, we, this is really forcing us. Uh, a good life lesson to me is that we don't get everything we want or wish we had. Agreed. You ha there's difficult choices that you have to make. And I'm sure that uh, I, I know Coach Alvarez fairly well. That's not something that he says lightly or something that he says uh, willy-nilly. Like, get out of here. Tough tough duty. Sorry, yeah. you can't have it. New ones come. No, it's, it's a painful decision, but it's a decision that has to be made because of the responsibility that he has as the athletic director and running that athletic department. You know, and I, I, I'm never an advocate for this, Bruce. I'm never an advocate for this. But say we have guys like Coach Saban or Coach Day, right? Um, they, and, and, or whoever, and they're making a certain amount of money, large amounts of money. I don't know. What's Ryan making now? Uh, I wrote the other day when they contributed to the food bank. I think Ryan, I think these are general numbers. I think you can safely say Ryan's around $6 million, Gene Smith's around $2 million, Chris Holtman's around $4 million. Okay, so just say Ryan's at, at six million. You know what? Maybe like what I would do. This is I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just trying to think of a way to alleviate some pressure. Maybe something is being done. I don't know. And this is not just for Ryan, but this is just for all coaches. And what I would think about doing if I were in that situation, I, I would say, okay, look, I'm due six million this year. All right, pay me. Four million this year, and I'll collect the two million somewhere down the road. And it, maybe when I retire or severance or I leave, all right, when we're more in a in a, a better situation financially. And and again, this is just a, my suggestion. I don't know what everybody's personal story is, so I can't say. But you know, I'll get that two million. Uh, I'll get it when things have stabilized a little bit. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, it does. I mean, look, the easy answer to this is to say, well, you know, Kirk Ferentz is probably making $5 million. Why didn't Kirk but, Ferentz just yeah. kick in a half a million dollars? I'm hesitant to spend other people's money. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I get that. I, that's why I'm saying I don't say that should be mandatory. Right. But that, that's just a suggestion. Like if I, if I were invested, if I'm Kirk, who's already given a million dollars or more plus – to that children's hospital that looks over Kinnick Stadium. You know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. and, and all these guys, from my experience over the years, have been very, very, very generous. I'm not saying they don't, I'm not spending their money. I'm just prolonging when they get their money. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm not saying give the money back or, or I'm saying almost like here's basically a no interest loan back to the university. Does yeah. that make sense? Or yeah. back to the athletic department. Yeah. Then I, I'll pick it up later. Uh, that's, that's all, uh, that's just a suggestion or something that 
if I were coaching and I, I was financially uh, stable enough to say, I'll pick up $2 million down the road somewhere right now, use it to help whatever you guys need to do. Is that, I don't know. It I, does. I, There's I, always, here's the thing. I just said it a few minutes ago. There's not one person who's nominated to us that's not deserving. And we'd wish everyone could win. I'm sure Kirk Ferentz wishes he could take care of every need at Iowa. And Ryan Day right. wishes he could take care of every need at Ohio State. The fact of the matter is, that's not feasible. And no, your, not. your other we, point is absolutely true, is that very often it's not fair. But somebody has to bear a consequence for something sure. that is absolutely no fault of their own. This is Good right. Friday. This is the quintessential day to recognize yeah. That yeah. somebody has to pay a penalty for something that's not their fault. Yeah, you're right. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. It's just that's the situation that we're in. But here's the thing. Like, people have asked to donate to what I'm doing, right, or what we're doing, excuse mm-hmm. me, what we're doing. They want to give money. And I say, I really appreciate that. Thank you. But go to your neighbor or go to your, you know, go, go where you are. Yeah, and make a, a, a significant difference right where you are. We're we're we've already got a model in place of how we're generating our revenue for to give away, and we so appreciate it. But somebody else, you, you're going to you're adding to what we already have a model to get to. We're only giving four people away. What you were going to donate, give that to somebody else that's close to you or in your vicinity or in your community that you know needs the money and then help them. And so instead of that being absorbed by the four that we help every week, we're all of a sudden helping five. I talked to a guy, I talked to a guy the other day he wanted to, um, he wanted to donate to our, not, it's not our fund. He wanted to donate because it comes into my bank account and goes out of my bank account. He wanted to donate to the to me, and I said, "Look, um, next time you're out, or if you take you, I asked him if he does take out. He goes, yes. Leave a hundred dollar tip. Great instead idea. Of giving me instead of giving me the hundred, leave a hundred dollar tip. Uh, we we have a model in place already, right? We don't need that. Yep. We we're going to get to our goal if if I have to sell. Did you see my Lion King video last night? By the way, I did not. <laughs> I did not. Well, while I'm talking, pull it up on my Twitter real quick. Okay. I, I want your I want your quick reaction All because right. this is important okay. to me. And I don't know. Here's my struggle, and I'm talking to the listeners now. When people ask me to donate to what Bruce and I are doing, I'm sitting here saying to myself, how do I tell you no? <laughs> because I'm so direct sometimes, as many of you folks know that I've met and talked to over the years. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm asking you not to donate to me because Bruce and I already have the finances. We have a goal. We're more than halfway to our goal, and we're going to get to our goal. So instead of donating a certain amount of money to help me get to that goal, I don't need you to do that. We have four people for the next 40 weeks that are going to receive $250. What I need you to do is the next time that you go to a uh, or donate to your local food bank, or like I said, if you're going to take out, leave a giant tip for somebody. 
or you know somebody at your church or you heard about somebody at your church or somebody within your community or your neighborhood is struggling, uh, organize your own little fundraiser um, and, and do it that way. That way, more people are going to get help and taken care of as opposed to less because we have four people covered every single week for the next 40 weeks. Your job is to go help cover somebody else. Did you see it yet? I, yes. Okay. What's so your, I don't have the I don't have the sound on, but I think I get the gist of it. Uh, what? Oh, well, you didn't see the sound. The sound is the. Well, I can't part. listen to you and listen to the sound. All right. What What me, is the uh, What is the necktie you're wearing? Why are you wearing the necktie? Spiels walks well, into a room with the. What What is the little dog you're holding? Which dog is that? That's Simba, or it's Coco. I know that's Coco. Yeah. Okay. Okay, the reason for the necktie is because we had a formal dinner beforehand. And ah. always at a formal dinner, I wear a jersey and my helmet. There you go. Your jersey, and your helmet, necktie. and a necktie. Very good. So, yes, everyone go to Chris Spielman's Twitter, Chris underscore Spielman. Watch your Lion <laughs> King video. I'm surprised you did not retweet that, my friend. Well, I wasn't on Twitter last you're, night. We had family wow. We had family movie King. night last night. We okay. had family movie night. So I got done you're, with my writing and went upstairs, and the movie was starting. And so I we have a policy. Dad can't be on Twitter. Dad can't be doing that stuff. So. That was uh, that was the deal last night, and here I see you on uh, Speak for Yourself with this uh, Big Wit Jason. and uh, Marcellus Wiley. Yes, which was a good experience. I was on that show yesterday promoting what we're doing, and also talking about Tom uh, Brady's interview with Howard Stern that went over two hours long. Um, Howard Stern is a really good interviewer, by the way, but why Tom went on there, I don't know, but. Uh, because I think Howard does a great job of putting you in a very awkward position and mm -hmm. doesn't let you out. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the the thing that I talked about on Speak for Yourself with Jason Whitlock and Marcellus Wiley was one of the things was that Tom Brady at the locker room, he doesn't see race. And Tom was criticized roundly for that by uh, SB Nation, Bruce. I don't know if you're familiar with SB Nation. But I am sports guy. Uh, SB Nation put out an article that, you know, basically by Tom Brady not seeing race in a locker room is somewhat racist. <laughs> I, I couldn't understand it. I, I, I didn't understand. But the, the more interesting thing, I don't think SB Nation actually signed their name to it. They put it, not one person signed their name to it. They just, they just it wrote was, it with no byline. With no, nobody claiming it. Not one wow. person claiming it. Or all, whoever, maybe it was more. But obviously, Marcellus and Jason said, you know, the, the locker room is the one place. Of course, there's uh, race, but, you know, it's not talked about. It's not you're all going for one common goal. Everybody pulls together. Just think about it, Bruce. You got we, we, we sleep in the same hotels. We we eat together. We clown on each other together. We laugh together. We celebrate together. We cry together. We do it all together. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And the point that I made on the show was just because Tom Brady doesn't acknowledge race in the locker room because he's with his boys and they're working, right? Absolutely. Doesn't mean, that he, doesn't mean that he's not aware of some of the struggles that these guys have gone through in their life to get where they are today. It doesn't mean that he doesn't acknowledge the struggles and challenges that these guys have gone through 
It doesn't mean that he doesn't acknowledge some, you know, there are racial issues in this country still. It doesn't mean that he doesn't acknowledge or is aware of that. And those, and for those people to write an article like that, they don't know what uh, Tom Brady, what action he's taken to help people or to the, to help minorities. You know, I, I have experience with this because my father coached the inner city school. I knew some of the challenges that his, some of his players had. Why? Because we didn't have a lot of money. My dad made $22,000 a year mm. being a teacher coach, but we always had food for him and they were sitting around our dinner table every night because they didn't have, I, so I, in my, I asked my parents one time, why? Because, well, that's, you know, and, and they're very loving way. They just need a little help now. And I, then as I grew older, and when we were picking a guy up and dropping him off at the YMCA because he lived by himself at the top of the YMCA building in a room, you know, remember how you used to be able to rent rooms at the yep. YMCA? Yep. That's what we were doing. So I understood at a young age because of my upbringing. And so when I was in the locker room, I certainly acknowledged some of the stories that I've heard and the challenges and the lack of social the difference between social economic backgrounds coming up, right? I mean, it's it's amazing. So I acknowledge that, but to say that just because when I'm in a locker room, I don't see race, to call me a racist, that doesn't even make any sense. No, and without, uh, it without is. Without ever talking to the person or knowing the person's background or knowing his history or knowing the action that he's taken, it's insulting. Yeah, and it's really chicken move to say that it's written by the SB Nation staff. I mean, yeah. You have to look that article up. I got it. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. Are you? Oh, oh, are you oh yeah. It? Yeah, it's written by their staff. It says by the SB Nation staff. So, no accountability there. Why? Why would they do that? I why well because they have an agenda. They have their belief, and they're entitled to their belief. No, but why wouldn't somebody put your? If you, I don't know. I can't imagine putting that out like that by the staff. Everybody on the staff feels that way. I mean, I can't. have you have you have you ever not put your name on something you wrote? In your career? Uh, one time. We had a byline strike at the paper, and it was a uh, union action that we all okay, were. Okay, but not by choice, I'm saying. Not by choice, no. Okay. Not by choice. I know, because that, that that's not the Bruce Hooley, the That's not the Bruce Hooley I know. Whatever you say, you, you're going to sign your name to yep. what you say. Yep. You know? So, Are you reading that article still? Or what? No, I'm looking at. I'm looking at Brady's quote, which to me seems pretty innocuous and pretty standard for a lot of players to say, and they're mad because he didn't ever come out in support of Colin Kaepernick or Eric Reed. Maybe that's, right. maybe that's not his experience in the NFL. And the New England Patriots, I would imagine that they're not, I mean, their, their success would tell me they're not a team divided by any issue. So his experience in New England is not the same experience that Colin Kaepernick or Eric Reed had. And there are people who played with them who have not come out and supported them. So, you know, I think it's, a, again, it's a freedom issue. Uh, everybody article, doesn't share the same opinion. In that article, after saying all these things, they'll say, oh, and it's important to note that we don't think Tom Brady's a racist. But here's, Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? No. you. Right, see, I'm not reading the whole thing. I just read the first paragraph or two. Stupid. Don't worry about it. It's yeah, it's just, not going to help it, their. That's not going to help them. They'll take it. They'll take criticism over that. It as was they well interesting uh, talking to Marcellus Wiley and heard the hear Marcellus's take was the same as my take. Now again, that just because it's not talked about or players aren't as uh, 
doesn't mean there's not an acknowledgement or awareness or action taken by Tom Brady or whatever. So yeah. I, it's just, it's crazy to say that. It's just insane. It, uh, and it's okay to disagree with Colin Kaepernick. It, uh, it's okay to agree with Colin Kaepernick. That's freedom of speech. As long as Colin Kaepernick was throwing touchdowns, he could do what he wants. Could care less. Has nothing to do with winning. That was my attitude. Yep. Because I said on that show yesterday, look, man, I'm not uh, don't judge anybody by their color. You're kidding me? I don't even see it. Do you think I'm sitting there saying, I'm looking in a huddle and I say, okay, there's 10, 10 black guys and one white guy or nine black guys and, and two white guys? Yeah, six Democrats, no, saying, five Republicans. I mean, no, who cares? I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here thinking there, there are 10 Detroit Lions and Buffalo Bills and me in this huddle. Let's go, boys. Yeah. That's, all I, that's all I I mean, it's amazing to me that people actually uh, think that. And even if I were to play with uh, Eric Reed or Colin Kaepernick, I could care less if they were taking a knee. Could care less. Right. It has nothing to do with playing football and playing the game and working together in a practice field, sitting in the meeting room, going, going to training table, going to uh, lift weights together. Doesn't affect me. Uh, that's crazy. I don't get. I mean, I mean, I get the take. It's a super social justice warrior take, but it's just like it almost seems like they were determined to write this before Brady went on their interview yeah. and whatever Brady said, they were going to twist it in to fit their point. That's how it Here's seems to me. Here's what I want. I want SB Nation, everybody that contributed to that article, and since you demand this of the people that you write about, I want you to tell me the actions that you've taken to help. Yeah, well, they would say they're they would say their writing puts pressure on athletes. I'm sure that would be their response. That's probably the most egotistical thing I've ever heard, and the most arrogant thing I've ever heard in my life. Somebody would say that words, uh, words don't trump action. Action is greater than words all day long. So let's see what you've done. Okay, let's see how you how you've made an impact. Have you body? I'm just giving examples of things that I know the guys have done over the years. Have you bought equipment? For underprivileged programs, have you uh, have you uh, supported coaches? Have you given your time to go down and do a free clinic with these kids and coaches? Have you uh, bought uh, gotten shoes every kid a new pair of shoes? I know LeBron James has done that stuff over there. What have you guys done? What did you do besides sit there and point a finger and write something about somebody? Jackasses. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? That's all right. You just thought it. Uh, Oh, gosh, (laughs) man. It's so frustrating to me that, you know, that's not what... To to take the coolest place in the world, which is a locker room. I mean, you've been in many of them. And I don't know if you've ever got a sense of the bond or the... Oh, my goodness. Many times. So, you know, that's a very special place. And I'm not saying that there certainly in my 11 years that race wasn't ever talked about. Of course it was, but it was never, it was never like, you know, all right. (laughs) Just like there's all the Baptists over here, all the Catholics over here, all the non-denominational over here, all the Jews over here, all the Muslims over here. It's insane. It was one group working as one. That was the beauty of it, man. That was the beauty. Gosh. I miss those days. I digress, but go ahead. No worries. Well, we're at the point of the podcast where we remind you that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters is our official coffee and that we hope you'll order from them. Uh, 
Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps to get 15% off. Or just note in the comments section you're a Spielman and Hooley listener and, and say you'd like to forego the discount so that Hemisphere will donate 20% to our COVID relief fund. Great uh, coffee, great people. Uh, follow them on Twitter and, and watch their videos of buying direct from growers in Thailand and in Nicaragua. And they are soon, I think, going to be having coffee from uh, other countries, perhaps even Ecuador. So uh, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, really good people. They, they fit our mission here, and we are very happy to be partnering with them. Uh, it is Good Friday. It is also my daughter Lexi's birthday. So happy, happy, birthday, Lex. happy 11th birthday to Lexi. And uh, why don't I kick that off? I'll just uh, knit those two together in a faith portion and then uh, go to you if you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lexi's 11 today. And in the last year and a half, I've seen her uh, change a lot. And honestly, uh, it's a change that's been hard for me as her dad because she used to be my little buddy. Um, Big time hugger. Not all my girls are huggers. And as she's grown up, she's become less comfortable with giving dad a big hug in the morning. That's hard for me to take because I take it as her pulling away from me. And I'd like to keep her you know, nine and a half. (laughs) And, uh, but she's growing up. And yesterday she had a reaction to something that I said that was completely innocuous. I'd gotten a text on my phone. My wife had gotten a text on her phone that set a, uh, an event for two different places at two different times. I was sure I was right. Well, Lexi read the text on her mom's phone, and Lexi was sure she was right. We didn't argue. It was just I could tell that you know, our disagreement over something innocuous as where something was going to take place bothered her, but she wouldn't talk about it. She wouldn't say anything. She wouldn't, she wouldn't let me know that she'd read something different. And I was like, you know, this is like the latest incident of her pulling away from me or not really talking to me. And I asked my wife, I'm like, what is up with this? And she said, she's becoming a teenager. I thought that was such a wise response from my wife. And so I I pondered that, and I journaled about that, and I, I prayed about that and how I can handle that and all that. And then this morning I was thinking about, you know, Good Friday and Jesus being crucified and the pain that he went through and the the pain he went through with the crown of thorns and the nails pounded in his hands and all that um, – and being crucified is an excruciating way to die. Um, the physical pain, I believe, paled in comparison to the indignity of being associated with our sins that he did not commit. He had all the sins of the world hung on him, and he's in his perfect, pristine holiness is now <laughs> saddled with guilt, shame, regret, all the things we feel when we screw up. So I just pondered that love, that he would do that for me. And I thought about my missteps, and he knew all my missteps. He knew all my snarky responses, all my bad tweets, all my hard-headedness, all my rebellion, all my, all, he knows it all. He knew it all, and he did it, and he did it anyway. And um, that just amazes me that love, that he did it because hopefully he he also knows the finished product or the product that I'm not a finished product yet, but he knows what I'm, what I'm capable of and what 
he's going to um, prune off of me, chisel off of me, <laughs> sandblast off of me, power wash yeah. off of me. It's going to be painful sometimes to make yeah. to make me go through screw ups that I just want to hit myself in the head over. And yet he did all that. And I think, you know, that's a model for me as I don't know what my daughter's going to become. But I have to be willing to sacrifice the parts of my relationship with her that I miss in order to um, love her who sh- love her as she is at that moment, where in her teenage years, she might be a little rebellious. She might be a little um, curt with me. Uh, she might not want my help getting something out of the oven when she's baking something like she used to. She might not want me to twist the lid off the top of the jar. She might, you know, whatever. I can't let that bother me. I can't let that affect my love for her because all my mistakes didn't affect Christ's love for me. Did the two older ones go through this, or this is one that just um, uh, hit not, a little closer? No, not so much. The two older ones did not go through it. Um, so it's all new. They, As you know, raising just, kids are all different. <laughs> the, other, the two older ones weren't huggers? Uh, the oldest one is not. The middle one is. <laughs> the middle one still is, which is great, you know, which yeah. is great. But, but yeah, I it's like, it. and, and I just thought about how every single one of us has our own story, our yeah. own habits, our own sins, our own potential. And Jesus loved every single one of us perfectly. He died for every single one of us. We think of Jesus coming to die for the world. And he did. He did come to die for the world. But he would have come if just you or just yeah. me had been there to redeem he did it for the world because it applies to everyone, but he did it for every single individual. And that's what I want everyone to remember who's listening to the podcast, if you're not yeah. saved, is to remember how great Jesus' love is for you. He didn't do it for a faceless bunch of mankind. He did it for, he knew every face. He knew every single thing about every single person that he died for. So I know you do this, but speaking from experience and going through where you are with your relationship with your daughters and the age that your daughters are. There's six, 16 or seven, 16, 14 and 11. Uh, 16, 14 and 11. Yes, sir. Uh, wow. Wow. But, Very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that you need to know is that every dad that has girls uh, go through what you're going through and it's gut wrenching, man. It is, it is a, and I'm sure moms go through it, but I can, I can't understand what moms go through, but I, I understand what dads go through and somebody advised me. It's not personal. It's never been personal as far as when they get standoffish, you know, it's just like Sherry said, it's teenagers. Yep. Then there's a different phase when they get ready to go to college, right? Then they try to become more independent. Then they're lost between being an, a young woman and still being a teenager because there's a fight for that independence now. Right. Mm-hmm. Then when they come home, you start to see this maturity in this person that will hopefully make you say they actually did watch and listen. And now I see all the cool things that hopefully we brought them up with starting to pay off and just how they answer things, just how they respond to certain things. And then you'll start to see what you prayed for their whole entire life 
you'll start to see little glimpses and signs of that coming coming back and you'll start to see them act in a way of how you expect them to act and how you raise them to act and that's the joy that's the payoff for this pain right now at least that's been my experience mm -hmm. well i wrote and, that in my journal that that's what i'm looking forward to is a day where i see that i accomplished my mission in her life as yeah. her dad that's what i'm waiting to see and i'm years away from that i mean i yeah. might be that might have come up at you a wedding that, that might though. come up at a graduation yeah. It feels like it's a long way away, and I have to keep loving her, and yeah, not and not take it sometimes. personal. Yeah, not take <laughs> it personal. Yeah, and I gotta. Yeah. I'm not saying not love her, but like, all right, yeah. I just, yeah, I, I mean, I gotta, you know. I gotta dial back <laughs> right. my. Hey, wait a second, you're getting a little big for your britches there. I gotta dial that back because she's the tenderest yeah. one, and I gotta well, find a way to love her on her on in a way that's meaningful to her. Here's the thing I learned too: is you can't treat. Uh, you can't treat the 11 year old or the 16 year old, the same as the 11 year old, mm -hmm. the 16 year old, there's a different, you know, because they won't respond. Yeah. You know, it's 11 year old needs different guidance and different treatment than a 16 year old. I'm not saying don't, don't be unfair. It's just how you deal with certain things with a 16 year old uh, is different than your, how, how you're dealing with 11 year old. I mean, I remember telling you uh, this story, and I maybe told this story in the broadcast when I had all four kids myself and Maddie and I were button heads. You know, she was 16 at the time. And I think Audrey was eight at the time. She made the observation to me, you're treating me like I'm Audrey and I'm eight and I'm not. I'm 16. And instead of me saying, shut your mouth, do what I tell you. I pondered that for about three or four seconds. And I said, you know, Maddie, you're right. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Then from that point on, I was able to have, now don't get me wrong, I had the normal battles that a father has with his 16, 17-year-old daughter, but I also had a better, more open and honest communication uh, set with her. By first of all, acknowledging what she said, that's a big thing. You know, you actually acknowledge and they know that you're listening to what they're telling you. Mm -hmm. So that's just my uh, thoughts on what you're going through. It's hard, man. It is really, really hard. But love will get you through, and you got a great wife there who has uh, got the God-given, like all women, motherly instincts that they seem to be. <laughs> Being a mother is just, isn't it just amazing watching them work? It sure man? is. It sure just, is. It's, just, it's fascinating to me to watch the, the instincts and the the love that a mother has. It's just, it's it's. It's not less intense or any better or any worse, but the love of a mother is so much different than the love of a father. Yeah. Would you agree? With, I, oh, I, I, I totally agree. I totally, but there's I would, a nurturing, I, there's a nurturing element. There's a tenderness. There's a, <laughs> in my case, there's a wisdom that I don't have. I mean, it's just, well, I mean, sometimes I just slap myself in the head and go, yeah, dummy, why didn't you think of that? Well, sometimes I just say, well, now's probably a time for me to step back mm -hmm. and let them do their work. You know, yep. so I think that's cool. Anyway, I'm glad it's like that, by the way. I think that's the way God intended it. Mm -hmm. This is not, that's not a knock on single parents. I was a single parent, but I, I think when you have two loving parents, what, and that's what I'm going back real quick to, to, uh, uh, the Tom Brady issue and, you know, the advantage that kids have and people have growing up in a loving household with two loving parents 
I don't think there's a greater advantage we can give our children. Would you agree or disagree with that? Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Uh, okay. For me today, for the message, uh, this is Corinthians 1.18. So it's all about the cross today, right? Mm-hmm. Or in Good Friday and, you know, what happens on the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's First uh, Corinthians 1.18. So, in other words, it, you know, it, if you don't, if you believe, I mean, nobody believes in nothing. You have a belief in nothing after this, after this life. That's fine. So they might look at well, what the what's Good Friday about and what's what's that cross about? And I mean, this dude died on the cross, so uh, probably a million people were uh, crucified back in those times. What's so special about this one? Uh, but for those of us who do believe and are saved by it, uh, understand what the power of God is, not only for the the um, the sadness and the of today of what happened, but the power of God is Easter Sunday and the resurrection. And the recognition of that is so uh, inspiring and puts fear in its place and uncertainty in its place. Because in this world full of uncertainty, the one thing we have as believers is certainty. Indeed. Indeed. It's a, it's a powerful day for Christians, and if uh, you do not count yourself among our number, you know, we certainly want you in the club. So uh, yeah. we uh, free. are free. free, free entry. You don't have to donate or you don't have, That's we, right. or, or you don't have to buy Hemisphere coffee to get in, but we'd love to have you. And if you like coffee, why not drink Hemisphere? That's right. <laughs> That's right. that plug for There you go. Excellent. Way to marry the salvation <laughs> message to the coffee message. Great job. <laughs> That's only here on this podcast. Well, we hope everybody has a blessed Easter, and uh, we hope that um, all of you uh, will search for the meaning of Easter, um, find the peace that comes with uh, knowing your future is eternally secure. Um, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hope you'll nominate someone for COVID-19 relief. We appreciate those of you who've bid on Chris's items and stand by on his eBay page for whatever next uh, prized possession he puts up. More than halfway to your goal. That's pretty cool. Yep. Thank you to everybody. Have a great day, everybody. Happy Easter. We'll talk to you again on Monday.